From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. People respect you more when you are yourself and that you get a lot more engagement when you are fully who you are. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. And you just heard from today's guest, Lazarus Lynch. Now, just in his mid-20s, Lazarus already has a career that many in the food media world would envy. A two-time winner of Chopped, he is perhaps most known for hosting the first-ever Snapchat cooking show, Chopped You, which debuted in 2018. Now, his food roots started early and are strong, and family has played a big part in that. Today, Lazarus is the face behind his brand, son of a Southern chef, an homage to his late father, who was from Alabama, and instilled a love of cooking in Lazarus from the beginning. Now, Lazarus joined us to talk about his first cookbook, also titled Son of a Southern Chef. In today's show, we're going to talk with Lazarus about how he got his foot into Food Network as a young man, how he approached his debut cookbook, and where he finds inspiration for his work. And of course, we've got a salt and spine game, and stick around because Lazarus uses that opportunity to make an impromptu debut of a little song of his. Plus, in today's show, salt and spine kitchen correspondent Sarah Varney tries out two recipes from Lazarus's book for an annual pig roast. Great Jones's Sierra Tishgart is back to share a vintage work from their collection, and we're checking in with Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Lazarus Lynch joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Lazarus. How are you? I'm good. Great. Thank you. you. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. I love the show. Thank you. I love everything about it. And I, I think your lineup has been quite sick. Thank you. I I would agree with you, and I am thrilled that we can add you to our lineup. Um, and you're here today to talk about your first cookbook, yes. um, Son of a Southern Chef, Cook with Soul. So I want to start maybe sort of around the title and the dedication and the the figure who sort of is very present in this book, which is your father. Um, so yes. your father, who I think you called Ray, or people called Ray. Well, his name was Johnny okay. Raymond Lynch, and everyone called him Ray. Everyone called him Ray. Uh, depending on who you talk to, but he was Ray. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, you the book is Son of a Southern Chef, but you too are Son of a Southern Chef, and the book is dedicated to him. Let's talk about a little bit first, maybe the, the role that he played for you in bringing you into the food world. Yeah. My dad was an incredible person. You know, he was a handyman. He was an artist. He was a creator and he was pretty radical and undisciplined all at the same time. He was sort of like, you know, the the kids became the parents with my dad because there were just (laughs) no boundaries with him. Um, but all, all in the best ways, you know, er, my earliest memories of my dad was like waking up at 2am and my dad saying like, come into the kitchen (laughs) and I'm making this grilled cheese that you have to taste. And on a school night, you know, and my mother would be sleeping and I'd go into the kitchen, you know, maybe my brother would, we'd go into the kitchen, we'd have this and, you know, we'd have this whole moment with him and, you know, he'll throw in a track, he'll throw in some music and this is three, four o'clock in the morning in the middle of a school night. So (laughs) that was who my dad was. He just was larger than life. You know, I would go to the grocery store with him. He'd have to introduce me and all my brothers and sisters to everybody who worked at the grocery store. He was a communicator. He loved people. 
And when I was 10 years old, my dad decided to stop his business as a carpet, as a, he installed carpet. Uh huh. And named after you, his business. His business was called Lazarus Carpet. Yeah. I know. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> as a kid, it, it just sort of, I don't know. I didn't know where to place that in my mind. Okay. Looking back, I just think that's, that was incredible. Yeah. That's really meaningful to have my name on a building. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he, he decided I'm going to end this carpet business mm-hmm. and I'm going to start a restaurant. Sure. And my mother, who's been incredibly supportive of, of his career said, okay, let's do it. And so they together opened up their restaurant called Baby Sister Soul Food, uh-huh. which was named after his mother. Okay. And, yep. uh, who was the baby sister of the family? The, she wasn't the baby sister per se. Okay. But she was considered like baby sister. It was sort of sure. more of an affectionate way of describing uh-huh. her by her sisters. Okay. Got it. And, uh, and he named it after her. Yeah. And my dad grew up in Alabama. So he was around this Southern food culture, soul food and learned how to cook from watching her and watching his grandmother, um, uh, make all these delicious recipes. And so my dad was like, you know what? I'm just going to do fish and chips. Uh-huh. That's what I'm going to do. And, you know, a couple months later, he's, he rolled out some sides. He rolled out the coleslaw and the, right. then he rolled out mac and cheese and collard greens and the menu started to expand. And I was just in awe because yeah. I had only known my dad to be a great cook at the house. Okay. And now he was connecting with all these people in the community, sharing the food that I grew up eating. And it was, it was amazing. That was also around the time that Food Network had, you know, Emma sure. Lagasian and early days of Rachel Ray and Bobby Flay. Right. And I would remember coming home after school around like four o'clock, turning on the television. And I think it was like Ina Garten and uh-huh. then it was Rachel Ray and then it was Giada and yes. all these people. And I would just sit and watch and I was just in awe of, you know, watching these people cook and put things together. And you're like 10 around, around yeah, 10. Yeah, it's probably like 10, 11 at okay. that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had also been doing a lot of art. I was in art school. Okay. I was pursuing acting. I was a, I was in dance classes on the weekends. Yeah. Very active in my church in the choir. Uh-huh. Uh, so being in front of people was sort of, <laughs> so I was very comfortable doing that in right. a performance space. Right. But the cooking part, yeah, it didn't occur to me until I was probably like 12 years old. And was your dad involving you in the restaurant when you were 10? I know we're going to get to your high school in a, in a minute, and mm-hmm. I know you were maybe more involved then. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're 10 years old, like, are you just sort of at the restaurant, just sort of absorbing it all, or are you actually involved in the food? I mean, you're going into the, the cash register without your dad looking, <laughs> and you're grabbing a $5 bill, right. feeling like you're the richest kid in the world. <laughs> you know, then you're going around the, cro- the store, around the corner to, to the store to buy like a bottle of soda. Right. So that, that's what I did at, at yeah. 11, 12 years old, yeah. you know. And then I would, you know, but I would watch my dad and I would uh-huh. see what he was doing. And uh-huh. occasionally he'd ask me to like, go clean the toilet or, you know, not literally, but like go mop or go sweep this or right. do you want to help me peel some vegetables? Uh, so that was sort of the, the early stages for me and the light bulb started to go off. Like I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned your dad is from Alabama or was from Alabama chef. Your mom now is, um, also a culinary influence on you, I think. And she's from Guyana. Guyana. Um, and so she has those Guyanese roots that are also sort of melding from a culinary perspective with your dad's southern roots. What sorts of things were you eating at home as a kid? Oh, as my goodness. Getting both of these influences in your life. Well, it's interesting. My mother, yes, she's Guyanese. She left when she was 13. Okay. And moved to London with her family. Okay. And lived there until she was 26 and then moved to New York. Got it. So everything that she remembered 
flavor wise, uh, was just literally passed through memory. It wasn't anything that she had witnessed someone cooking or anything. So, you know, we had salt fish, which is like a dried Pollock fish, right? Uh, usually bought in some kind of uh, plastic, you know, bag or something. Right. And, uh, it's salted cod and we would eat that a lot with rice. Uh, we had a lot of plantains, a lot of root vegetables, yucca, Japanese sweet potatoes. Uh, you know, she wouldn't make things like pepper pot, which is like a very traditional Guyanese mm-hmm. dish, Yeah, but we'd eat a lot of roti, sure. um, and curry. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I say in the book, like we curried everything in our house as a verb. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we also lived close to this bakery called Sybil's. And Sybil's had really great pastries like cheese rolls, um, pine tarts, uh, roti. What's a pine tart? A pine tart. It's literally like it's a triangle. Okay. And it, it almost tastes like a, a phyllo dough, but it's not quite as flaky. Okay. And the center is filled with like a pineapple jam. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's, it's Guyanese. Really good. And it's Guyanese. Okay. And sometimes they put like cherries inside. It's okay. really good. It's a sweet, oh, sweet dish. It's really yeah. good. Uh, and so, we, you know, that's what we grew up eating. Right. So whatever mom couldn't physically cook, she would buy from Sybil's. Right. Or we would go to her friend Elaine's house who stayed in Guyana and then moved to New York and they reconnected when they were probably in their thirties. Okay. And you know, she makes like hot pepper sauce from scratch and we would go over her house for like traditional meals, but the melding of both cultures, it didn't, it never occurred to me that that was happening. It was just yeah. common, right. you know? And then I went to high uh, or elementary school with kids that were, Indian and Chinese and Jewish and they would bring their snacks to school. They would bring their wasabi and sure, you know, and we would trade snacks and I'd have my can of Frank's sausages and sure. <laughs> which <Yep>. smelled, <laughs> you yeah. know, or a can of sardines that my mother uh-huh. thought I should be eating. Right. Uh, and so, you know, and you, you just, I didn't, I didn't recognize that there was so many similarities in the cultures, in the cuisines, and and also so many differences. Yeah. And then you you went to um, food and finance high school, right? Is that, is that the right yes, name in, is in New name. York? Tell us about that and how you... Did you elect to go to this school then? I did. Okay. So did. at that point, did you know food was sort of a, a path for you? Yeah. Like, so at that point, food had been calling me okay. really strong. And I had a really good friend who... She's a childhood friend, Ashley, who went to the high school. And so she was already two years in. And I remember her telling me all these stories. And, you know, again, I was getting very excited with my dad's restaurant and watching Food Network occasionally that I said, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And when I I remember when I told my mother I wanted to go to a culinary school, she hesitated because she didn't think I was serious about it. You know, she was like, but you're really good at art. You're really good at painting. You're really good at music. You don't want to go to performing arts high school. And it seemed like that was the direction I was going. And I said, no, I really want to do this cooking thing. And so I remember the first time walking to food and finance high school, we passed three or four restaurants just on the way on Mm -hmm. 50th street in Manhattan, going toward 10th and 11th Avenue and passing all these restaurants. And I'm looking in the windows to see what the kitchens are looking like and see who's working the line. And I was just so fascinated in my mind thinking, this could be me. This could be my future. This is exciting. Yeah. And I got accepted, you know, and there was no application. Well, aside from the standard high school application, there was no audition or anything. Okay. People are always surprised about that when I tell them that. 
Because it's a really, it's an immersive culinary high school, right? I mean, you're oh. spending like half the day in the kitchen. Is that right? Pretty much. Uh-huh. You know, I, I tell people all the time, it was no easy bake curriculum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, was, it was seriously hands-on. Uh-huh. You know, all of the instructors were and are professional chefs, you know, who've, who've worked on in every kitchen setting and, uh, who've, you know, who've come from different countries and, you know, who cared about teaching us. Yeah. Uh, so that was really where... I learned a lot of what I know today. Right. And your position in the food world today is not as someone of, uh, you know, you're not running a restaurant. You're not the chef in the kitchen seven days a week at a restaurant. We'll talk a little bit more about all the things you do. But at that time, when you're in high school, was that sort of what you were thinking? Like, I'm, oh, I'm that was the a path. restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. The path for me was you're going to be a restaurant chef like my dad. Uh huh. And maybe one day I'll own. And that was sort of, to be honest with you, that was the, the path that was most preached about. Yeah. Because that was the path that seemed to work for everyone. Right. And it didn't, it wasn't until I was a junior in high school that the idea that I could create a different reality for my future using these same skill sets just started to become an idea. It was just a thought. I didn't quite know how I didn't know, you know, but it was just a thought, you know, and I, I would, I, I just got that awareness and it changed everything. And then you, you went to college, went to college and went, and went to, to Buffalo to state, Buffalo state, okay. yeah, Buffalo state college. Um, and at some point in college, I, I can't, I'm not sure exactly when you start making videos, you start making cooking yes. videos. Well, you know what? You. It started before that. It, it did. Okay. It started in high school. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So this is a crazy story, which I don't tell very often, but I had asked one of my teachers if I could record a video at the high school. Okay. Because, and I'll tell you why that happened. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Ingrid Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Who visited the high school. She was a huge supporter, even though she lived in Miami. She was a huge supporter of the high school. Uh-huh. She came in and did a demo and she said, this is how you do a cooking demo. Right. She asked for a volunteer and I was volunteered okay. by all my classmates. They threw me <laughs> under the bus yeah. to go up there because no one else wanted to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I went up there and, you know, I was very nervous and I did, I did a good job. And she said, you know, you're really good at that. She's like, have you ever thought about writing or blogging or anything. And I said, no, I never heard of a blog. I didn't know anything about blogging. And Ingrid Hoffman is the person who inspired me to start to, you know, share my love for food on the internet. Her comment was that powerful. Her comment was that powerful to me. Wow. All it, all it took was for her to say, have you ever thought of this? And, and that sort of set into motion. Cause then you had a blog in high school. Right? I had the blog because of what she said. Okay. She said, I yeah. think, you know, well, it was more than that. It was, it was also this desire, innate desire within myself to do big things. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to talk about it, but that felt bigger to me. Okay. That felt bigger than the idea that I had in my head of, I'm going to be a restaurant chef one day when I right. graduate. That felt immediate. That felt like something I could do right now. And it wasn't about, getting people because Instagram wasn't even around. So right. It wasn't about how many followers, how many people. Are, exactly. It wasn't about any of that. I mean, I didn't know anything about analytics or any of that. It was just, this felt bigger to me. This yeah. felt like an opportunity to do something else, something cool. And, and yes. And so I did that. And so I asked the teacher, I said, can I film this video at the high school? She said, yes. Okay. We came in on a Saturday. She bought all the ingredients herself with her own money. Wow. Okay. Public school teachers <laughs> don't need to be doing that. Okay. Yeah. That's probably a move on conversation, but she bought the ingredients. She came to the high school 
And I showed up. She had a camera person. Uh-huh. Literally had a camera person. Like she found a camera person she to come had, in. It was her friend. Okay. Yeah. But yes. she asked them to come in she and, asked and them to do come this in. for you. Jessica Mates. I know if you're listening out there, this is because Hi, of you. Hi, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and we record this video. And what did you make? I made, you know, embarrassingly, it's still up on my YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so if you're listening, you can go there and you can watch. Just like I just, sort I never took it down. First. Yeah, I never took it down. Okay. Uh, even though it's embarrassing, but <laughs> I made a tuna steak. So, uh-huh. you know, you're not really supposed to make your first, whatever you're making on camera, you should have some kind of experience with. Yeah. You know, you should You've maybe made it, made it before yeah. at least one time. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd never made this recipe. <laughs> okay. I just, you know, I just off the top of my head, I was like tuna steak. It felt really ambitious, right? Which it's not, but it felt ambitious at, at the, the time. time yeah. Yes. And I made like a sesame dressing and, right. you know, made, made this salad. So about a month later, I watched it. Ingrid Hoffman was back at the school. She watched it. Okay. And she was like, Oh my God. And I said, well, I have a meeting at Food Network because I was, I wanted to go and get a tour and mm-hmm. I was invited to do that. And I said, I think I'm going to go take this DVD at the time. I said, I'm going to take this DVD and show them. Yeah. So the woman by the name of Susan Stockton, who okay. is yeah. vice president of culinary productions at Food Network. Um, we had a meeting. She gave me a tour of Food Network. I was a sophomore in high school and I said, Susan, I have something I want you to watch. And Susan watched it and she said, hold on. She called a guy named Bob Tushman. Yeah. Bob Tushman, who was a big deal there, big deal, vice president of programming Uh at the time. And he came upstairs and all I remember is, oh my God, because I didn't know who she called and I didn't know who was coming in the door. She just left the office. She said, I'll be right (laughs) Right. back. And I watched this guy on next food network star. I think it was probably like season two or three at the time. This is early days of food network. Yeah. So anyway, he watched it and said to me, you got a lot of talent. My advice is for you to go to school, go to college, learn as much as you can, get some life experience and maybe come back and, you know, let's talk. Okay. So I went to to college with that in mind. My yeah. idea was I'm going to do my best. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, you know, spend time developing this on-camera presence and this video work. Yeah. And then everything else just took off. So that's the very long story. Right. And And by takeoff. Like, let's, let's talk about that then. So you're in college and like the YouTube stuff that you're doing starts to really take off, right? You're sort of producing content that's really doing, performing well. You're, you're in conversations, right? And there's this moment where you decide to sort of follow that path more explicitly. Right. So at the time I was a nutrition and dietetics student. Okay. Which was basically pre-med by the time you graduate. Okay. Which, uh, you know, all I can say is I learned my lesson. You know, I, that was not my path. So two years into that program, I moved into journalism. Okay. And the journalism part gave me access to production and students who were in media. Right. And, and then I said, okay, if I stay in journalism, it's going to take me two more years to graduate. So that's six years instead of four. And I thought I can't do that. So then I finally moved into individualized studies and created a degree, basically created my own degree. Yeah. I took some business classes, took some media production classes and all along, you know, using some of the nutrition that I learned and this culinary background and this camera, you know, access to create these videos. And I shared them on YouTube and then a company by the name of taste made mm-hmm. discovered them. And my, it's, it's so funny how the world works. I had a friend who introduced me to his friend. They were both students at NYU. Okay. I was a student at Buffalo state. Yeah. And we met during the summer and he's like my friend Omar. He, he's a 
camera person. He can shoot you some videos. Omar came to my house, this guy from Egypt, and it was his first year in the United States at NYU. And he said, do you have any like shooting styles in mind? And I was like, no, I just like hold the camera. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to make this check-in thing. Right. And he was like, oh, have you ever heard of Tastemade? And I said, taste who? He said, Tastemade. (laughs) I said, no, I've never heard of it. He said, okay, look them up. Maybe we'll get some ideas, some inspiration. And I said, okay. And I watched their videos and I thought immediately I could do that. Yeah. I just thought I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And put it in the back of my mind. We shot the video. I posted it on YouTube like August. Okay. September of that year, I'm back in Buffalo State. Omar is back at NYU. He's doing his year. I'm doing my year. I get an email from someone at Tastemade uh-huh. saying, hey, we found your, it was a fried chicken video. Okay. So we found your fried chicken video. And, you know, looking back, it was poorly lit. The audio <laughs> wasn't great. Right. But Omar, you know, he did a great job, but it could have been better. But, you know, they said, can you come to, to LA and create some videos? I had no following. I had no, all I had was the stream, the ambition and the drive. And yeah. I put it out. I just put it out. Yeah. And so when I texted Omar, you know, can we cuss on this podcast? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, he said, shut the fuck up. Uh-huh. Holy shit. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's like, I was like, no, I promise. I swear I'm not lying to you. Cause it happened in the span of a month. You said. Yeah. Going from like putting this video up and being cognizant of what taste made is to like being brought on in a way, in a contracted way, right? By yeah. taste made to produce content for them. Um, and that was really, was that sort of the moment then where it felt like full steam ahead for you uh, as like a content creator? It did because I was also a full time student, right? Which people don't or forget sometimes. Right. I was still, you know, I had to ask permission to get out of class yeah. and leave or take a test early or take it later or, and that was very difficult because, I mean, it taught me how to negotiate, but it was also very difficult for some professors who didn't understand quite what I was doing. Sure. And I was like, oh, Snapchat. And they were just like, no, we don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I work on Snapchat. <laughs> it's like, it's a, that was a far fetched idea, but, uh, but no, it did. It really, I think thrusted me forward yeah. in my career. And you, you mentioned Snapchat. You were one of the earliest people to sort of harness a lot of these social media platforms like Snapchat for things like incredibly well done cooking content and cooking videos. What sort of lessons did you learn about harnessing that these new media platforms to tell stories about food and to share recipes? Mm, it's a good question. I think what I learned about myself mm-hmm. is that people respect you more when you are yourself and that you get a lot more engagement when you are fully who you are, you right. know? And so, and I've evolved. I mean, if you watch my early videos, you know, the, just my presentation, how I delivered what I cooked, all of that has evolved. You know, the other thing I learned about the recipe piece is that the more it can be personal to me, the more it has a story, the more it has some kind of, you know, oh, this is what I ate growing up. Or like, yeah. I went to this amazing burrito place in San Francisco, and this is why I'm making this burrito. Yeah, You know, having those kinds of points of references for people really makes them more interested in making it. And the other thing I learned is uh, to do my research. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I had said in one video that a rape bus were uh Mexican invented. Right. The Colombian friends of mine and followers uh got very upset. Yeah. With me. So, you know, you <laughs> Right. <laughs> you gotta respect the you gotta realize that someone's on the other end 
yeah. listening, yeah. even if it's not immediate, if it's not live, there there's someone on the other end who's listening. Right. So always having their best interests at heart. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Lazarus Lynch, author of Son of a Southern Chef. This week, Salt and Spine Kitchen correspondent Sarah Varney is coming to us from an annual pig roast in Sebastopol in Sonoma County, California, where she's gamely agreed to make two side dishes for a hundred people. And she looked no further than Lazarus Lynch's Son of a Southern Chef for inspiration. Let's go now to Sarah from her pig roast in Sebastopol. It's early morning, and the pig is already on the spit. Its ears freakishly erect, its eyes wide open, and a crew of friends tend to the fire. We use branches of freshly picked rosemary slathered in olive oil to base the skin. With the pig well underway, my partner Jesse and I head to the farmer's market in downtown Sebastopol. We can't linger since we're on the hook to make creamy coleslaw and a salad of grilled peaches, cucumber, and tomatoes for 100 people. And I have zero experience cooking for cafeteria-sized crowds. Farmer Tom Noble has heaps of cucumbers for sale that he grows in nearby Guerneville. So these cucumbers over here are the old standby market moors. He's trying to help us find a substitute for English cucumbers. These are a greenhouse cucumber that may be a bit like your English cucumber. They're called Cornito. What's the taste like? For the They're sweet and very small seed. I made dill pickles with them last night. We fill our basket with the Cornito cucumbers and a few other goodies and then sprint through the stalls in search of peaches. We see Joshua and his grandfather Romero handing out samples. We need eight really ripe peaches because we're about to use them in a salad. We're going to grill them. Oh, yeah. Then but we're going to grill them right now. So then firm ones are pretty good. Okay. Yeah, that's all hot. Where are these peaches from? Sanger, Central Valley. It's really hot over there still. We don't get cold until, like, November. We pay Romero $12 for our peaches and speed back to my friend's house. The pig roast is an annual event, but the guests don't suspect that I'm going to press them into service. Okay, Sharon. Hi. Hi. Thanks for agreeing to help me. Yeah, no, my okay. pleasure. So we're going to make this grilled peach, cucumber, and tomato salad. Okay. As we get going, I'm floundering trying to quarter the peaches when a man named Dave offers to show me how it's done. There's always a ridge on the side of your peach. Right here, you see. Really? Really. <laughs> slide it like that, go around in a circle, and then twist. And you oh, get wow. half of your peach. Oh, wow. Pop out the seed, and then quarter it. When I step outside, the party is in full swing. It's a delicate position. How to ask for help firmly, but politely. Hey, Jess, can you start the grill for me? I just need the grill started in order to do the peaches. And I haven't even started the coleslaw. But time and again, Sharon comes to the rescue. Okay, so you're placing the peaches on the grill. They've been expertly massaged with olive oil. Gave them a little massage, a little pampering. And now um, I think if we'd start them all on the skin side down. With the peaches underway, I zip back to the kitchen to start the coleslaw. All right, so we have four heads of cabbage because Saul was very concerned that we wouldn't have enough cabbage. Hey, Levy. Do you have a sufficiently large bowl for me to Yes, I pulled out a massive... Oh, it got used. Dave starts hacking firmly into the cabbage, quickly amassing a mound of shredded green and purple. 
And it seems a good time to take stock of what's ahead. We're gonna do How much mayonnaise do we need for four heads of cabbage? Yeah, well, it's one cup of mayo. For each head or for... For each head. Everyone is pitching in now. My friend Nicolette is on the carrots. Gretchen is on the bell peppers and the pickles. And I head back to the poolside grill to check with Sharon on the peaches. Yeah. We've got a nice bit of color and that's kind of getting soft. Mm. And I've been moving them around a bit on the grill because there's some of them, the grill's hotter, some parts are hotter. And these little bits are definitely done. The kids, as they should be, are oblivious to all the work going on around them, jumping in the bouncy house and flying along a zip line over the pool. I'm beginning to feel hopeful that these dishes will be ready in time, and we're going to pull this off. Back in the kitchen, Nicolette, one of my oldest friends and a veterinarian who needs all her fingers, is stuffing carrots into a Jimmy Carter-era Cuisinart. So I don't have the um, whatever that doohickey piece that goes in that pushes the vegetable down, so I'm kind of improvising with this random piece of plastic. It seems to mostly be working. It's a little exciting as I get closer to the bottom, closer to the spinning blade. We pour the carrots into two barrel-sized bowls, along with the shredded cabbage, bell peppers, pickle juice, and pickle relish. And as we're stirring in the mayonnaise, Sharon arrives with a plate of gooey grilled peaches. Oh, and look at those beautiful peaches. Lovely. So we've got two recipes going back right now simultaneously from this cookbook. I like it. Okay. Lining up peaches. Once the peaches cool, we mix them with the basil, mint, cucumbers, and sun gold tomatoes that Nicolette and I picked from our friend's garden. It's a vibrant mix of green, yellow, and orange. We've cleared the kitchen table and set out all our dishes the grilled peaches, which go fast, and two vats of creamy coleslaw. All right, so Dave, since you were involved. Yes, how can I help? What do you think? It's amazing. Tangy? Sweet? It's both tangy and sweet. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I've only ever made it once, so... This is the once? This is the once. I'm a fan. You should make it again. Okay. Yeah. All right. As everyone digs in, I wander outside to find Jesse and see how the pig ended up. So we're carving the pig. Do you think it'll go well with the coleslaw and the grilled yeah. peach, tomato, cucumber salad? I, I think it would be a delightful accompaniment. <laughs> As it turned out, by the time I got back to the kitchen to fill my own plate, the grilled peach salad was gone. But I filled up on coleslaw and even went back for seconds. Salt and Spine Kitchen correspondent Sarah Varney with two recipes from Son of a Southern Chef. Lazarus's dad's creamy coleslaw, which Lazarus writes was one of the most popular side dishes at his dad's restaurant, where Ray would serve up huge pans of hand-shredded, creamy, tangy goodness, and that delicious-sounding late summer salad starring grilled peaches and some just-picked tomatoes. Salt and Spine is proud to have storytelling partners like Edible San Francisco. In the upcoming issue, hear from three women, Lenora Estrada of Three Babes Bake Shop, 
Janelle St. Jean of Pietisserie, and Elizabeth Simon of Revenge Pies on how they're speaking out on behalf of women and minority-owned businesses, building up their operations and paying it forward to their communities. Subscribe now to ensure that you don't miss any compelling stories on how San Francisco eats at EdibleSanFrancisco.com. And we're catching up again with Sierra Tishgart, co-founder of home cookware startup Great Jones, to explore some of our favorite and unique vintage cookbooks from the Great Jones Library. And of course, here's the fun part. If you're a regular listener, you know that whenever Sierra and the Great Jones team join us to talk about a vintage cookbook, hearing about it on Salt and Spine is just half of the fun. If you head over to the Great Jones Instagram page, you'll have the chance to leaf through the book with us too, taking a visual sneak peek inside the pages of this classic volume. Let's bring in Sierra now. Hi, Sierra. How are you? Hi, good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Um, We're thrilled to have you back once again to talk about another cookbook you've pulled down from the Great Jones Library. Uh, Tell us about the book that you've picked today. Yes, this is called Celebrity Cookbook. Okay. Um, It came out in 1981, and it is interviews with various celebrities about what they eat and cook. It is like, you know, however many years before Us Weekly. It has that uh-huh. kind of voyeuristic, cheeky look at, at how people like Lucille Ball or Liza Minnelli dine. Also filled with very fun illustrations. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. The illustrations are great. Um, I'm seeing like this Dolly Parton spread, the Jimmy Stewart spread. So we see a lot of uh, today cookbooks that focus on celebrity. And obviously now we're in an era where being a chef um, can make you a celebrity or being a food personality can make you a celebrity sort of in its own right. Um, But there's always been this sort of fascination with how celebrities eat and how they cook at home. And I'm so intrigued by this sort of early look um, or this early edition that that sort of gets at that. You know, it's eating and cooking to some degree. It's just like one of those activities that we all, all do. It is like one of the few things that I think just like unites everyone. And what we put into our bodies is such a personal choice. Um, you know, there's all kinds of implications for how people, I think, probably, especially if celebrities extrapolate why celebrities look the way they do. Um, I just think it's like so kind of heuristic and personal to learn about someone's behaviors and their rituals. Again, today, what a lot of these people in this, in this book um, are describing are their like tiny private rituals. Yeah, that's so that's so fascinating. Um, I think there's also this this idea sometimes, at least with modern celebrity cookbooks, that they can be sort of vanity projects, or maybe they're not actually full of recipes that are going to work really well or be really um, delicious or satisfying in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some works that sort of counter that. I mean, I always sort of think of Chrissy Teigen's books as being ones that came out and were sort of maybe um, questioned at first, like, why did, why is she getting a cookbook deal? And then actually mm-hmm. have been, you know, really widely praised and um, celebrated as great, great cookbooks sort of on their own right. But there's this sort of interesting sense of like food being the place that celebrities want to go to and not really knowing if we can always trust where they're taking us. Totally. And some there's very different perspectives in this book. You have Liza Minnelli who talks up whipping up a chocolate soda and about her mother, Judy Garland's relationship to cooking. Um, then you had Fred Astaire who just, who said he brings his own brown bag lunch to set when uh-huh. he's working um, and likes to throw dinner parties. Like, I think a lot of this is also just humanizing. Like this could be, you know, this is Fred Astaire bringing a brown bag lunch. Like who would have ever thought that? Some other fun things are Dean Martin talks about his pizza preferences. Sophia Loren, of course, 
also talks about Italian food and has a recipe for pizza a la Napolitano. Oh, Lucille Ball is in Aspen at the time of the interview um, okay. and discussed skiing and cooking there. So you really get these little slices of life and where people vacationed and, like I said, their rituals. Yeah, I'm seeing quiche Lorraine from Alfred Hitchcock um, and a mustard yep. gelatin from Bette Davis. It's it's such a fascinating <laughs> look. It really does does humanize them and really give you a, a picture of um, what they're eating at the time and and that sort of moment, that, that era of both celebrity and that era of food. I would be very into someone like making a modern version of this. I do think you're right, which is like a lot of this like the you know it's one of creating recipes is is really hard and it's hard to do that for one recipe let alone a whole collection of them uh-huh. but you know these people having but having one personal recipe that's a family recipe is you know something i think most people have and you know probably today every celebrity thinks so oh, i need a whole book of them but compiling it like this is is, is a fun read yeah, I think it would be really fun to see a modern version of this. Um, I'm so glad you pulled this down. I love the illustrations. I love this little look into celebrities' um, dining life back in this era. And um, I'm excited to They're see the influencers more. influencers of 19, you know, <laughs> 1981. Probably would have sent great too. I know. Um, I don't know how they'd feel about the term influencer, but there yeah. we go. <laughs> influencers yeah. before there were influencers. Yeah. Well, thank you so thank much, you Sierra. Thank you so much. Yes, it's always a pleasure. And now, back to our conversation with Lazarus Lynch, author of Son of a Southern Chef. You talk about having connection to the recipes and having a story there, and, and your first book, Son of a Southern Chef, nice really, segue there. Thank you. Is is really full of that. I mean, we feel the presence of your family. We feel so much of your of you, I guess, to put it bluntly, so much of you in this book. Um, when did you decide that what you were doing with your life had to then become a cookbook? And how did that process sort of play out? I, w- I wish I could remember. Really? I, I really do. I think it was, you know, I think in my life, the way that things happen is that, you know, I get a very early glimpse of what could be, what is possible. And I think I, I archive it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, one day, yeah. one day that will happen. One day I'll do that. One day I'll be on Tastemade. One day and I'll be on Tastemade. 30 days later. And 30 days later. <laughs> yes. So I think that's what it was. I think I, I'd seen Ingrid Hoffman. I'd been, I'd worked at Food Network at that time because I'd been an intern. Part of our high school curriculum was that we had to intern somewhere. Okay. So my internship was at Food Network. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'd say pretty good, pretty damn good internship. Yeah. So I'd, I'd already seen, you know, that people write books. Um, so I think, I don't know, I, I graduated and I thought, what do I do now? You know, because I had no, no school. So I had an open day, had an open schedule. I knew I didn't want to work in a restaurant. I knew that the video work was working for me. I had this partnership going with Tastemade and Food Network came calling and I said yes to that, you know, and so the video piece looked good. And I thought, but there's something else that I want to do. I think, I think the book is next. And I went on the Today Show, November of 2016. Okay. So I graduated in May. Is this when you made that sandwich? I made that sandwich that went viral. (laughs) That chicken sandwich. Something about the chicken, man. Yeah. Something about the chicken. So, you know, I I did that. And then my my friend reached out to me. She said, hey, uh, you know, I want to introduce you to this literary agent. And I met with her and we just kicked it off. And she said, I think you're ready. Yeah. That's literally all that happened. She said, so now you got to write a proposal. Right. And then that was my homework. 50 pages later, wrote the proposal for the book. And, you know, I, I still at that time really didn't know how to do a cookbook. There's no template. And we got 10 no's 
and we got two yeses. Ten no's from publishers. From publishers, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, everything from like, he's not ready to we've done this before, the market, the market, uh, no thanks. He's cute, <laughs> but no thanks. Yeah. Uh, so that was actually very discouraging. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, to be honest with you, I'd never really been told no. Because it seemed like I had just done what I was doing. Right. And then the people that wanted to work with me came to me. Uh-huh. It was never the reverse where I'm going to someone saying, can I work with you? Sure. So that was a hard lesson. And, you know, and my agent said, no, we're, we're good. We, we got two yeses, two solid yeses. And, you know, Penguin Random House, not a bad, not a bad yes. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, and then they were just like, yeah, so just start writing the book. So I said, well, what do I do? How do, what do <laughs> yeah. I do? Right. And, you know, I, I just started opening up every cookbook I could find. Everyone from Edna Lewis to Julia uh-huh. Child to Chrissy Teigen, who we, we both are big fans of. Yes. Or Teigen, if you're listening. It is Teigen. It's Teigen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Chrissy Teigen. And, you know, and I just started going. I just yeah. started writing these recipes, pulling on stories of my father. Now, this is the interesting story. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. Right. In my junior year of college. Right. And he passed 2015. Yeah. I graduated 2016. And before my dad passed away, I sat with him and I interviewed him. Okay. And I had a friend come over and just record us on, vi- on a video, literally a video recorder player. Yeah. Not for this book. Not for the book. Just to interview him. Just to interview him. Yeah. Instinctively, I felt something's going on. This might be the end. Instinctively, I knew that. Yeah. And I kept a notebook and I wrote down every single recipe he made in the restaurant, his collard greens, his coleslaw, his mac and cheese, his candy yams, his pecan pie, his sweet potato pie, every literally wrote it down. Right. And just talked to my dad about his life. And those were, that was really one of the most, oh my God. You know, I think if every human being could do that with their birth parent, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I understand there's all different relationships to parents and what that looks like today. But if you could just sit down with your loved one and just, Asked them to tell, where did this all start? How did it all get started? And he did that. You know, he opened up to me and I was so grateful for that. And so I was really able to channel that in writing the recipes and writing the story and writing the book. Yeah. I had, I had that to, to reference. Yeah. That's so special. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. What did it feel like to have, to, to have this book completed and to pick it up? And, and I mean, your dad is such a big part of your story and such a presence in this book. How did that feel to you? Well, it still feels, it's an ongoing feeling of gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing feeling of uh, amazement. You know, the other day I was in a meeting, it was like an impromptu meeting. And I said, oh my God, I wish I had the book. I wish I had the book. I wish I had the book. And my friend was with me. I said, can you do me a favor? Can you run across the street? Can you get a copy of the book? Yeah. Just to be able to do that. (laughs) Right. I was like, that's great. That is great. You can just run across the street and get the book. Yeah. And it's here. So, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm just in constant amazement. I also realized that children really love the book. I can imagine. It's it's so so, bright and colorful. It's so bright, colorful and free. Which is why I'm so shocked to hear you say that a publisher said we've done this before because your book feels so unique to me. What, what do they mean by that? Like how, cause this is such a unique book. This book that you are holding. Yeah. Is not the book that I wrote. Okay. Is not the proposal proposal. I wrote. Right. And the reason is because this book represents a deeper evolution of me. Uh And I think the reason I'm so present in the book, and so many people have said that, and they're like, you're so, you're really in the book. Yeah. Like, it's you. And I think that's because of the process of evolution in my own life. Everything from accepting my identity, Uh accepting who I am, loving who I am, you know, creating a new set of rules for my life. Yeah. You know, and that really has shaped 
my destiny and is right. shaping my destiny. And right. that's, I think that's why the book is, I probably would have said no to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know, but I, I will tell you there were many twists and turns with this book. At first I had an editor, my editor got, uh, I will say fired. Okay. In the middle of the project. Okay. Can we say something like that? On yeah, this? we can say that. And she transitioned. And so I was left with a new editor. Okay. And I said, I'm going to change things. I'm going to change everything. Yeah. I started from the beginning and I asked my photographer, my friend, Anisha Sisodia. Uh huh. So can you do this book? I said, no, you never shot a book before. I said, but I've never wrote one either before. Right. So right. let's just make this our first rodeo. She came on board. The editor was like Lucia Watson. She said, yeah, sure. Cool. And we were just given the blessing to just do what we wanted. And the book is really because the way it looks, the way it feels is because of all these people that came together to make it happen. And how would you describe how, I mean, obviously we're an audio show. People should go and, and look at the book because it's incredible. But how would you describe it to someone? Mm. Um, like maybe let's say you, you had this vision at the outset of exactly what this book was going to be. And you're talking to an editor or a photographer. How would, what would you say the book is? I would say it's an invitation to living a very colorful, beautiful, sexy life. Yeah. Through food. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You talked with Elazar at the Washington, for a Washington Post article about your sexuality too and about mm. the role that it plays in this book. Like, as I think people pick this book up sometimes and think this is an incredible book and it's just full of like queer identity too. Was that a, a consideration in your mind when you were putting the book together? Or does that something that just happened naturally because it's who you are? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, that was an interesting, uh, observation of Elazar when we had that conversation in my kitchen, I said, you know, I never thought about that. Yeah. I said, is it really that queer? <laughs> but you know, and I think, yeah, I think it's just me being who I am through every page. Um, it was not intentional at all. Yeah. You know, I wish I could say we, we thought about it and it was all strategic, but no, you know, one of the, the great things about that though, is that it has opened so many doors for conversations within the black community about, identity. Yeah. And really shifted the narrative, I think, not just in my family, but also in black culture about what, what sexuality is and the spectrum of that and the beauty of that and how that inspires people to live away or live that way or choose this way or portray themselves as that way. And I, you know, all of those underlying conversations that are not about food, but that can be related to food sort of have come up because of, because of that, because of the book. Yeah. So that's really incredible and exciting. And it's also cool that, you know, young people, younger kids, boys and girls can look at the book and feel connected with it in that way, feel represented, feel, rep feel heard, Yeah. you know, feel seen and, and like someone else understands me. Yeah. And that's, that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That really is. Now, I would say I'm not going to pull a Wendy Williams on you and ask you your age, but I would oh. say you're probably one of the youngest, if not the youngest you guests ask we've age. had. If you want to show your age, you can. Like, do you know how old I am? I'm going to guess you're 26. I'm 25. 25. Okay. Um, <laughs> which um, I would, I don't know the ages of all of our guests, but I would say you're definitely the youngest, if not on the younger side. And we talk about cookbooks as an industry with all of our guests. And you mentioned a couple authors whose books you looked at when you were putting this book together from Edna Lewis to Chrissy Teigen to Julia Child. But I'm curious from your perspective as such a a person who's pushed the industry, I think, so much already with just your first book, where you think 
um, the cookbook industry is headed or what you think is sort of on the horizon or what you want to see more of from the cookbook industry? Mm, wow. You know, I'm actually in the process of thinking a lot about my next book. Oh, okay. And awesome. the, the reason is because the first book is an invitation. It's a nice appetizer yeah. to my world, to who I am. And I want to go deeper. You know, I, I want to give people recipes that they could use every day, you know, recipes that are really healthy and vibrant and delicious. And so I've been thinking about a lot about that. And I think in terms of where the book world's going, I don't know. I think I'm still learning the book world. You know, I, I'm, I'm very young in the literary space, especially yeah. in the cookbook space, probably yeah. one of the youngest, right? You know, there are kids that have cookbooks and sure. things like that, but From you know, Master Chef Junior, Master Chef Juniors that, yeah. and all that, you know, but, uh, no, I, I'm excited to see some more originality. Yeah. You know, um, I was reading a Bon Appetit magazine. They said the word funky is so outdated, you know, <laughs> but that's the word I would use something like more funky and vibrant, right? Um, more personality. It's funny because I told the publisher and my agent, I said, look, Every book you've shown me, everything that just came out, I said, with the exception of a few, uh, I really get the spirit of the author. I said, and the, the others I don't. I said, they're great recipes, beautiful photos. I said, but I don't get the spirit of the author. Mm-hmm. And for certain authors, that's not important. You know, for right. certain audiences, that's not important. Sure. But I knew for my audience, they needed to see me. They needed to see what I was doing. They needed to see my face. You know, that was a big part of the pull. Yeah. And the draw. So, you know, that's what I'm excited about, seeing some more originality. Well, we always end with a little game. Okay. So uh, we talked about your many different talents and the many different um, passions that you have in life. You're also a musician. Yeah. Um, and you produce your own music. Um, I also read that you wrote a song once called Pastem Greens and That Cornbread. Oh, I did. did you, can, <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, why it hasn't been released yet. Ah, <laughs> that's a funny. That's so funny. You know what? That... So I write songs all the time. Yeah. I write songs walking to the bathroom. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was one of those kinds of songs. Do you okay. want to hear it? Yeah. I, think I do. Hear I want to hear it. Is this like the... I think I need a sip of water. Okay. Is this you the You know, I wasn't prepared to come and sing. Is this the debut? Pass Them Greens. Yeah. So here's the, so here's the thing. You know, I was raised up in the church. Uh-huh. So the, there, there were spirituals that were sang as a kid. Right. That, and they have this kind of sound to it that's very black, very, uh-huh. you know, black American, uh-huh. very like... In the South, Southern Belt, Bible Belt kind of, you know, murmur. Sure. Um, yeah. And so that's what you're about to hear in just one second. Yeah. We're ready. So it's pass them greens and that cornbread. Pass them greens and that cornbread. Pass them greens and that cornbread. Da 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 da. I love it. And that's it. it. I love it. I don't know what that, I don't know. There was words that are supposed to be there that are missing, but that was, that was it. That is the perfect segue into our game. Really? Because we're going to merge music and food. I love this. um, Just like you did in that wonderful song that you just debuted for us here. Um, I don't know if it's a debut, but it is um, awesome. We have these cards next to you that we, we love to use with our guests. They have different ingredients on them. Secret ingredient is that first deck. That's more obscure ingredients. And then you've got more sort of traditional proteins, vegetables, flavors. So, Beforehand, we talked about four of the musical artists who have really th- that you really love and that you would love to uh, and have dinner with. If you could mm. have dinner with somebody, you gave me a couple names. I did. So I'm going to give you those names back okay. one at a time. And you can draw as many of those cards as you want. 
And then you're going to take those ingredients and tell us what you would prepare for this person if they're coming over for dinner. All right. So let's start with um, Patty LaBelle. Patty! She, Patty, she's coming for dinner. She, <laughs> she's bringing pie, I'm, I'm guessing. She's, she better. She, yeah. Um, she's going to bring some sweet potato pie, and you're going to make the rest of the meal. So let's draw some cards, see what you have to work with, and tell us what you would make for Pat, Miss Patty LaBelle. Okay, I'm going to do a secret ingredient. Okay. I'm going to do a protein. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a vegetable. All right. What do we have? We've got broccoli. Okay. Mm. We've got lamb and we've got sumac. Oh, okay. Broccoli, lamb, and sumac. All right. And we're maybe thinking that Patty's bringing some sweet potato pie for dessert. Sweet so we've got that pie. in mind for, for the, the menu. Yeah. I'd probably do this. I'd make her a broccoli cheddar bisque. Okay. We start there. Yep. I Just like she, warm her up. Yeah. She'd you love know? that. She'd yep. love that. Yeah. And then we do a sumac spiced lamb roast. Yeah. With, um, some mashed potatoes. Of course. You know, you gotta have the mashed potatoes and maybe some, uh, broccolini. Yeah. Oh, double broccoli. Double broccoli. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And ending with a nice slice of her pie. Delicious. Delicious. That sounds good. Um, okay. Let's say Stevie Wonder's coming over for dinner. Oh, Stevie. And you're hosting Stevie. Oh my goodness. What are you going to make? Okay, I think I want to take two flavor cards for Stevie. Can, okay. I, can we do that? Yeah, Has of anyone course. ever done that before? Maybe once or twice, okay. but not often. We're going to have two... F- oh, these are- <laughs> this is not going well. <laughs> took a risk. It took a risk. <laughs> this isn't going well. And we'll do a secret ingredient. Okay. I did take right. a risk. What do we have? Okay, uh, cotticcio sausages. So it's a large Italian pork sausage. Pig skin is mixed in with meat and spices. Okay. So it's a very... It's a New Year's tradition. Okay, you know what? This okay. can work. And then I have nutmeg. Nutmeg, all right. Okay, very, very, uh, you know, a, a nice, interesting spice. Yeah. And I got some chives. And chives, all right. So this is going very pasta direction. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see that. Bechamel. Uh-huh. You know, so we can make a pasta, like a nice, uh, what's the pasta that starts with a T? Tagliatelle? Oh, Tagliatelle. Yeah. I can never, thank you. Tagliatelle. <laughs> we'll do a sausage tagliatelle with nutmeg and chives. I love it. That's that so easy. Delicious. That's, okay, I yeah, was very Stevie worried about would that. Love it. Yeah, Stevie would love that. that. Hard. <laughs> All right, let's do one more to end. Let's say Aretha Franklin's coming for dinner. Uh, rest in power. Uh, yes. Um, yes, we did say living or dead. So, so Aretha Franklin's coming for dinner. What are you going to make her? Oh, come on. <laughs> I put you up to it. You did. Okay, what do we have? Okay, we've got pork. Okay. She, she'd like that. Just, it's just pork. Just, just pork. All right, pork. Pork is the protein. Okay. Our flavor is bay leaf. Bay leaf, okay. And our secret ingredient is liquid nitrogen. Oh, liquid nitrogen. <coughs> All right. Getting really Ginsburg? gastronomical and yes. scientific y for Aretha. Um, let's see what I'd make Aretha. Good lord. I'd probably do her some pork chops. Uh-huh. Okay. And um I'd give it like a nice apple glaze sure. compote y thing. Sure. And I'll brine it before I cook it. Probably grill it. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I'll brine it with some bay leaf. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some, uh, peppercorns. Yep. And other spices. Yep. And in terms of our liquid nitrogen, yeah. I'd have to, oh my God. Have you ever worked with liquid nitrogen? Once. Once. Once or twice. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel safe with liquid nitrogen. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to hire somebody to do it. Right. But we, you know, why not make her a bay leaf ice cream? Oh yeah. That'd be nice. You know? Yeah. Uh, Nice little pla- palate cleanser. Palate cleanser. Yeah. That one, that one was a little tricky. I mean, look, yeah. if, if I had to, I would. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't disappoint Miss Franklin. No. 
And I appreciate you taking the risk for our benefit for, our <laughs> for benefit. this for this game. Yes, of course. <laughs> it was fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lazarus. This was so great. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let's head now to Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hi, Brian. I'm doing well. Great. So we just sat down with Lazarus Lynch to talk about his, this is his first cookbook, uh, Son of a Southern Chef, Cook with Soul. And I'm hoping you have something to share with us. It is such a fun book. Isn't it? So yeah. So there's been a real sway away from uh, Southern food as soul food in right. the last several years. People have been... Um, Really hesitant to, to use fried food and the heavier, you know, the, and the collard greens and all the heavier sort of soul food cooking, right. uh, especially as it connects to African Americans. There's sort of a, been a just pull away from that. Uh, Lazarus really pulls back into it. Uh, he is, you know, his father was from the South and his right. mother is from the Caribbean. Yes. And so she, he brings a lot of both of those cuisines into this food, which is wonderful. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, excuse me, into the this book. Uh, and I love some of the stuff he's got. It's really fun. There's a uh, Nutella bacon banana breakfast grilled sa- cheese yeah. sandwich. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like not fooling around. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's also just a lot of, there are all the Southern pickles. Uh-huh. There's catfish. There's, you know, fried chicken. There are all the things that you would expect in Southern soul food cooking. Um, but he does it, you know, he's such a sort of renegade in his personality. Right. So it's, I wouldn't say that the recipes are terribly updated. They're really um, set in tradition. Sure. But he is not. And his sure. personality really comes through in this book. So yeah. It's a very fun read. Yeah, absolutely. It is so interesting to to think about that because we talk about this sort of new generation of authors and of cooks and sort of pulling on um, the recipes from their family mm-hmm. and sometimes really sort of keeping them um, alive and sometimes really adapting them. And it's sort of interesting yeah. to see both approaches and how he's really sort of embraced a lot of the recipes that his father was making in particular. Yes, yeah. It's not about like, you know, going to the farmer's market and getting the freshest food to uh-huh. <laughs> Because it's just about real, real Southern cooking. And, yeah. and uh, I love the embrace of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Celia. Anytime. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content and recipes from all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, please click subscribe wherever you're listening and leave us an iTunes review. And of course, you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Additional music today includes Out All Night by the Rip Tones. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Sierra Tishgart at Great Jones, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. 
The new season of Small Town Dicks is out now. But if you're new to the podcast and you want to start at the beginning, we have over 125 episodes for you to binge. So please join us for an original take on true crime. Small Town Dicks, available wherever you like to listen. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.